Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our guest today is Peter Arlene, who is the founder of Mountain Flow, which is a company that is disrupting the ski and snowboard and bike industry by producing high-performing products that are also biodegradable and more sustainable than the conventional products in the space. And now, I should say, if this sounds a bit too good to be true, or you're really not sure how big of a deal all of this is, then you definitely ought to listen to this conversation. In it, Peter and I talk about the environmental impacts of ski wax and how that's directly related to how ski wax actually works. We talk about Peter's appearance on Shark Tank and what he took from that experience. We also discuss the upcoming ban on fluorocarbon waxes, and that is happening at the highest levels of ski racing, which is another reason why we aren't here talking about some little tiny category of the ski industry. We're going to see some major changes again at the highest level of competition in skiing. And one more thing, in this very podcast conversation... Peter unveils Mountain Flow's brand new product, which we also think is going to have another significant impact on the ski industry. And if you're sitting there now thinking, hmm, I've gone from feeling pretty skeptical to feeling pretty intrigued, well, you can see and try out for yourself Mountain Flow's products at our upcoming Blister Summit in February, where you will be able to check out a number of Mountain Flow's products. You can learn more about our upcoming Blister Summit in a link in the show notes to this episode. And you should also check out our Getting Here Guide to Gunnison and Crested Butte, where you will find lots of helpful information, including up-to-date information about flights into the Gunnison Airport. So check it all out and then come on out and see us this winter. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by Avocado. And since we're talking a lot about reducing environmental impacts in this conversation, I should point out that last year, Avocado became the first carbon-negative mattress company on the planet. And that happened 20 years ahead of the target set by the Paris Agreement. You can learn more about Avocado's products and their various sustainability efforts at avocadogreenmattress.com. And you can also check out my ongoing series called Jonathan's Sleep Experiment if you'd like to learn more about what I'm doing and some of the products I've been using to try to up my own sleep game. And now, let's go ahead and get to my conversation from... Blister headquarters at Elevation Hotel in Mount Crested Butte with Peter Arlene. Here we go. I am very happy to be here in Blister headquarters with Peter Arlene. Welcome back, first of all. I haven't, well, we haven't seen you in this room since the Blister Summit, so that would have been February this year. Yes, a year ago. It's great to be back. Um, thanks for having me. Um, it's dumping outside. 
and uh, super stoked for the winter. Me too. I should say, well, two things I should say. One, you and I just talked about succession and we like cut ourselves off, but that just makes me like you more that you are a fan of succession. So there's that. Secondly, I am currently drinking Pray for Pow Mm. from 10 Barrel because I feel like, you know, when there is no snow and you are praying for Pow, that's when you're thinking about, you know, well, praying for Pow and drinking things like this. But I feel like the fact that we've just picked up something like 30 plus inches here in 48 hours, I, I didn't want to seem ungrateful, right, for all the prayers. And so this is like a celebration move on my part. And I feel like it's a good expression of gratitude. My question is, how many beers did you have to drink? So we got 30 inches. Yeah. What's the ratio? It's not, it can't be a beer an inch. No. You'd be a mess. Yeah, I'd be a mess. No, I I have not. Maybe a beer a foot? Well, it's been a bit more like, it hasn't been that like a regular of a thing for me, you know? So I don't know that I have an algorithm to this. I'm just really grateful. And I I just thought I didn't want to be like one of those people where it's like, yeah, we're praying for it and we're all sad. There isn't snow. And then there's snow and then you forget to go thank Mm -hmm. whoever ought to be thanked, right? I, I just... I just want to make sure I'm covering my bases here. So I think I like that. Okay. Like a gratitude dance after your snow dance. Yes. Thank you. Don't forget the gratitude dance. Don't forget the gratitude dance. Well said. We kind of have a lot of ground to cover and we actually have a limited amount of time because that door to headquarters is about to get either, you know, barged in upon one might say by a number of our blister reviewers, because we're going to be doing a bit of a, Mountain Flow Clinic slash pizza and beer party. Yeah. And they really go hand in hand. If you're waxing your skis, a beer is almost as mandatory as a wax iron. Hmm. I mean, you can wax without it. You know, LaCroix will work. But a beer is a preferred drink for for ski tuning. Okay. So given that, you know, like I said, it's going to get a lot harder to have this conversation when like, I don't know, have... I don't know, like six or seven or eight people roll in here. So, um, you know, I'm going to try to keep us on track. Or we just talk about succession right now, but we have to make a call. I knew once I brought it up that it wasn't done before we press record. <laughs> okay. But that's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll save it for the pizza party or okay, like after, after kind of the clinic. Um, this is cool. I don't know. You and I have been talking for quite a while now about Uh, some of the stuff that you've been doing under this banner of Mountain Flow. And for those who either need a refresher from the Blister Summit panel that you were a part of from this past, I keep saying past year, it's still the same calendar year, so I need to get better at this. But from our first Blister Summit panel, give those folks a refresher, or if some people don't know yet, talk a little bit about what is Mountain Flow what, when you started the company and why you started the company. Sure. So Mountain Flow Ecowax is based in Carbondale, um, which is right over the hill from Blister HQ. Um, and we make plant-based ski and snowboard wax. So people are probably thinking, okay, great. Like what's other wax made of? Um, pretty much all the wax in the world, whether it's in candles or on your skis is made from petroleum. Whatever you put on your skis or your snowboard, goes directly into the snowpack. When that snow melts, it's in the local watershed. So we developed a line of high performance ski wax that's made entirely with plant-based ingredients, biodegradable, non-toxic, and 
same performance as everything else that's out. That was very succinctly said. What gave you the idea to pursue this? Like, why or when did you think this would even be possible? So, I mean, I've worked in the ski industry for years and for a lot of it uh, as a ski tech in a wax room, waxing skis all day long. I had no idea what was in it. It was ski wax. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what wax was made of. And so at some point I got curious, did some digging and learned that it was made from petroleum, but that there was a plant-based option. You know, and some people have tried it in the past for whatever reason it hadn't stuck. And so I started experimenting and that was kind of the kiss of death. Because once I started, I was hooked. You know, I got one formulation to work okay and I knew that there was a future, that it was possible. Um, And ultimately it took two years and 200 formulations. And granted, I was doing this all in my kitchen on the stove at home, mixing waxes up, waxing skis at night, skiing the next day, finding the best performer, iterating on that over and over again until I had something that I was confident was just as good as anything else out there. Um, So part of it was me being stubborn and just being super curious and determined to figure it out. I think this is one of those ideas that when somebody hears it, you're like, oh yeah, cool. That makes sense. And I confess that like I sometimes get mad when somebody's asking about blister. I'm trying to get less mad these days, but like in the early days of blister is like, you know, people be like, what do you do? And I tell them about the company and we kind of do things differently than a lot of the players in our outdoor space. And they would all be like, oh yeah, no, totally. Like that makes perfect sense. You've, you know, you don't have these conflicts of interest or whatever. And then I'd want to punch them because I'm like, well, if it's such a good idea, how come nobody else is doing it? And like, it's actually really hard. And like, we're like, you know, there's kind of a painful process. So I found myself listening to you here being like, yeah, well, totally. That makes sense. But why wasn't this done before? Or why wasn't this done in such a way that you thought from a performance point of view, we can actually go head to head with other waxes and products on the market that would be kind of direct competitors made out of whatever you want to make the stuff out of? It's a great question. And like, I don't know why no one else has done this. Just like, I don't know why no one else did Blister 20 years ago, because it's a great idea. Thank you. But I'm happy that I stumbled upon this opportunity because it is such a no-brainer, right? If we're not sacrificing any performance and we're offering huge sustainability benefits, it's like, sure, like, why wouldn't people switch over? Part of the reason why I think people hadn't done it before is A, it's not easy. Like, it took two years. I'm not a chemist. Maybe somebody who's smarter could have done it sooner than me. That is very possible. But it's really hard. Like these waxes are hard to work with and to figure out the right combination so that it's going to work super well on skis in a variety of snow conditions. Um, And secondly, like people weren't asking for it, right? Uh Consumers aren't like, hey, wax company, like why are you making that with those ingredients? Why aren't you making it with these? Like people weren't aware of what was going into the wax. They didn't fully understand. So there was no drive from the market. Um, And when we got started, there wasn't either. People were like, oh, that sounds cool. I'll try it. But they weren't like knocking down our door for our product. They are more now, but they weren't at first. Business 101, always a good idea to create a product that has no market demand. That's what they teach in business school. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you make the dollars. I I didn't go. Did you? (laughs) I did. I went to business school in Alaska. (laughs) 
And not that they teach you about ski wax up there, but there was plenty of snow when I was in business school. And so you were out like skiing a bunch, missing the class where they're like, look, rule number one, don't try to start a company where there is literally zero market demand. Yes. You were gone that that day. Yes. Okay. Um, But I mean, if you wait for the market demand, like you're kind of too late. That's right. Right. Someone else is going to get there first. Yep. Yeah. So I think the way we put this, I mean, this is what everybody always says, you know, about Steve Jobs, right? It's like the, 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 the flip side of this coin is you are the visionary. What they always said about Jobs, right, is that he was creating products that we didn't know we needed or wanted. So look at that. I went from making fun of you for skipping all your business classes to now putting you in league with Steve Jobs. I so. am flattered. If you could see me, I'm, I'm blushing right yeah. now. Um, but there was, I guess, I mean, and I am just kind of interested in like how really almost any business gets started. But, you know, if you, if the first thing for you was, can I make a product made out of more sustainable materials that also performs at an equal or higher level than some of the stuff on the market, well, was it like that's step one? Let's see if I can do that. And then if you're like, if I can answer that question, I'll think about how to turn this into a business. Or were you, did, was there enough conviction to be like, I am going to make a business out of this. Now I'm going to figure out the product. And then I'm going to make sure the market understands that this is something that they might want and there's real value in. How did it go for you? It wasn't really premeditated or thought out or planned. No business plan. You know, when you start a business, you start from zero. You have no money, you have no product, you have nothing to lose, or you've got no brand reputation. And so it was like, I'm going to try this and see how it goes. Um, To me, it was super important to get the performance dialed as a skier, like the idea of putting out a product that sucked and like that harmed the skiing experience was unthinkable, right? Because you can have the best skis, boots, bindings in the world. If you've got bad wax, like that's where the rubber meets the road, right? We're all about the glide. That's the sport. And so the performance needed to be there. Otherwise, I would have just canned it and called it a day. Once I got that there, and then I sent out some samples to people, and they were kind of like, yeah, this is good. I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's see how it goes. We'll start small. And if people like it, it'll grow. And that's, that's how it went. I feel like I need to bring up the fact because this will, I don't know, is this going to be like in your obituary? At some point along the line, you then got put on television. Should yes. we talk about that? Is let's, there stuff? Let's we talk do it? about okay. it. Let's do it. It wasn't an episode of Succession because if it was, I would just be like bowing down <laughs> to you right now. But it was pretty good. I mean, talk a little bit about this experience and, and how that came to be a thing. Sure. So the show we're talking about is Shark Tank. Um, I was on last February, so almost a year ago. Um, Their talent team found Mountain Flow at Outdoor Retailer Hmm. um, and reached out. And when they reached out, I honestly thought that it was a prank email. I'm like, I make plant-based ski wax. This is a national TV show. There's no way people are interested. Um, But they were. And so that began kind of the process of due diligence and the, the whole thing. Um, and, you know, the, you got to pass all their tests before they let you onto the show. And so I got onto the show and I was still nervous. I was like, you know, these guys are yeah. Wall Street and yeah. rich and 
they're not, they don't ski necessarily. They're not going to get it, right? Not only is this ski wax, but this is like a niche part of the ski wax industry. And they immediately got it. I did my spiel and they were, they were hooked from the beginning. Um, two of the sharks were big skiers, turns out. Which two? Uh, Mr. Wonderful and Barbara. Um, and they were stoked. And so it, it went really well. It was actually fun. Um, mm. Once I got out there, it wasn't really that nerve wracking. Mm. It's like having a conversation like we're having. Mm. You know, they're very in tune. They're super smart and they were interested in the product. That's awesome. I mean, so this is not something that you had been trying for years to get on. I mean, in case somebody doesn't know, that shows a massive, massive hit and a big deal, right? And I mean, I think there are thousands of companies dying to get in front of that group of folks and to, to get on television and the rest. I mean, it's a massively, I don't, I really don't think it can be overstated, right? And so it's interesting that you weren't like, for years I was sending emails out and I just thought if one day I could get the attention from somebody on the show, maybe I could get out. It's like they hit you up and then you're in that pipeline. Um, I'm curious in all of that, was there anything in the preparation for the show or stuff that happened after the show that was like, now that you've had about a year, you know, to think about this, where you like, some of the prep I had to do was actually like incredibly important for next steps we took as a company or just interesting ramifications of having been on the show? Yeah, I mean, I think the key was being able to explain the story behind the brand to somebody who might know nothing about skiing or maybe nothing about ski wax. Um, and that's definitely helped along the way because mm -hmm. even people who ski all the time don't necessarily understand about ski wax. Yeah. So being able to distill that and tell the story in 10 seconds so that it's interesting to mainstream America, like that's super valuable. Yeah. By the way, what a February for you. Yeah. You went from Shark Tank to the Blister Summit. To be clear, Shark Tank was just a warm up to when I got here to Blister Summit. Right. And I was primed. I was ready to go. Nice. Tell us a little bit about how it's going now. I mean, I got to say, you know, since you missed that day of B school in AK, and so you're like, you know, hey, make a product where there's market demand. If you, if you missed that class, but then you end up on Shark Tank, not bad, right? Good way to get, you know, get the word out in front of many millions of people. But since then, I mean, how is it going? Are you like, yeah, there's like, a quick adoption in the outdoor world of folks who I'd say the vast majority of us are interested in like, oh, a thing can, I can buy the more sustainable thing or the less sustainable thing. And performance is, let's say, impossible to notice a difference or extremely subtle differences or something. How has the uptake been on this side of it? It's been great. Yeah, it's been a super fun ride. You know, the more we get the story out, the more people are stoked. And you know, we've got really good support from some of the progressive retailers who are looking for something that's sustainable. They're not willing to take, I mean, they're not afraid to take a risk on a small company. Um, we've got a great team of pros. Uh, Alexander Kilda, he's a Norwegian ski racer, mm -hmm. won back-to-back -back races, Birds of Prey, Beaver Creek last week yep. on our wax. Not bad. So speaking of performance, yeah. it works. Um, he's also, I mean, he is a good skier, mm. so it's not, so that helps. we can't take all the credit. Oh, okay. Um, but the wax helped, I think, 
So it's going well. I mean, we're we're busy, we're having a great time, and we're excited to see what's ahead. I think, you know, this is gear 30, so it's probably time for us to try to dive into the weeds, maybe throw you into the weeds. I don't know what we do here, but let's like dork out a bit, right? So maybe we can frame this in a way of what do you think is a kind of most misunderstood thing about ski wax? Yes. Um, so I think the biggest misconception is that ski wax is about top speed. Sure. For Kilda, it is about top speed. For all the rest of us, it's not about going 100 miles an hour. It's about having a super smooth gliding experience. So the nice thing about wax is that you will have consistent glide in any snow condition. So if you go from sunny to cold powder, you're not going to get that like jerking forward. Um, and you almost don't notice it if you don't wax your skis until you start waxing. And you're like, oh, this is like, your ski works better. It's designed to be used with wax. So edge to edge is smoother. The whole experience is better. And you know, it's like getting back to the lift on the cat track. You're not skating. You just have effortless glide. Um, and so I think that's a misconception. People are like, well, I don't, I don't want to go any faster. I don't need wax. It's like, no, no, no. The experience is better. Your skis are going to work better. You're not going to get as tired at the end of the day, right? It's like that micro friction that you might not notice, hmm. but after skiing for whatever, 10, 20 miles, you're going to feel it if you don't have wax equipment. That's actually an interesting one. I have to confess, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about the more or less fatigue part of this equation. 100%. Yeah. And it's like, you won't necessarily notice it right away. Yeah. But after a day of skiing with tuned equipment versus not tuned equipment, you'll definitely notice it. Hmm. I think it's fun in these episodes to try to uncover the like, here's the thing that maybe you haven't really considered from either a performance point of view or a production point of view. What do you got? I think it's super interesting how ski wax works. Um, and we'll dig into this with your team in the clinic. But the easiest way to think about it is that wax is like a deck of cards that's stacked underneath your ski. And the snow is ideally piercing the bottom card and pulling it off your ski. And so literally the wax works by shedding into the environment, into the snowpack. Now, if your wax is too soft and the snow is too hard, that snow is going to go straight through that whole yep. deck of cards into your base and you're going to stop in your tracks. If your wax is too hard, the cards are hard to slide apart. Your coefficient of friction between the cards is higher. That's why you need temperature-specific wax. So when you get that dialed, you've got just cards coming off the bottom of your ski. So that's how it works. And literally, wax works by getting deposited into the environment, which is why it's so crucial to use a non-toxic biodegradable product. That's very well said. I see why they had you on Shark Tank. <laughs> I've never heard the deck of card analogy before. And now I've, I'm like, should I have heard that a long, long time ago? Did you borrow this or is this yours? No, I borrowed it. Yeah. I, uh, when I was, I mean, I'm self-taught on ski wax. I didn't grow up racing. Um, I waxed skis, but recreationally. And so I just went deep and, and learned and read, you know, journal articles and Nordic ski wax reports. And that's one of the things I talk about is this, Deck, deck of, of cards. cards analogy. 
see, this is why I feel bad because all the like ski tuner people out there are like, he doesn't even know the deck of cards analogy. <laughs> so I just took a, yeah, I just took a big reputational hit right there. Ski tuner people aren't, they're not judgmental. They're just stoked to get out on the snow. So they're not judging you. Jonathan. Thank God. Thank God. Go easy on me, ski tuner people. <laughs> I want to ask for the like mountain flow customers you currently have. And, and I don't know if you'd be able to have an answer to this sort of more broadly in this space. From what you're seeing or the people contacting you, do you have a good sense of where the interest in mountain flow products is coming from? Is it stronger on the backcountry touring side of things or is it actually bigger on the alpine slash inbounds skiing side of things um it's it seems to be big on both like we have a whole line of backcountry focused products whether it's a quick wax that you can rub on uh once you rip your skins we've got a whole line of skin wax which has become super popular i mean we also get you know the mom or dads that are waxing their skis for the whole family and they love tuning skis, even if it's for a four-year-old who doesn't need to go fast. They just love getting out in the garage mm-hmm. and spending the night waxing for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're stoked to put a non-toxic product on their kids' skis. Um, so we get a lot of that. Uh, we're getting a little bit more and more into the race scene. And that's a little bit harder to tap into, but we are getting there. So it's, it's a little bit of everything, yeah. to be honest. And if I may, I'd love to hear more about why it's harder, perhaps, or the race side of things, if the racers haven't been beating down your door quite yet. Talk a little bit about this. I mean, I take it, it's because they might just assume if it's kind of made from new or alternative elements, it might not be the fastest freaking thing out there. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, a lot of the eco-friendly waxes or products in general that have come along before, their performance wasn't there. And we talked about this a lot in the panel. Yeah. Um, so some people are trained to think if it's eco, it's bad. Yep. That's something that we avoid at all costs, right? We were not sacrificing any performance to provide a sustainable product. So there's overcoming that. You know, racers in particular, I think, have that mindset. Um, I was running our packaging by uh, wax industry vet before we launched it. And he was like, you know, you should take all this eco stuff, put it on the back of the package, lead with performance. Otherwise they're not even gonna talk to you. And so there's a little bit of that going on. Big picture, there's massive change going on in the ski wax industry and racing in particular, in that they're working to ban fluorocarbons in ski wax. So fluorocarbons have been in ski wax for decades. Um, You know, racers wouldn't race without it. It's the same stuff that's used in Teflon pans, it's that nonstick coating. It's in you know a lot of jackets as a DWR, um, but they are now working to ban it, and it's illegal to mm. use in pretty much every race series except for the World Cup. And the World Cup has tried to ban it now two years in a row, mm. and the ban has been pushed because they don't have the testing equipment. Um, so we offer a non-fluoro race wax, which eventually everyone's going to have to offer. So I think as that ban comes into effect our race wax is going to be much more prevalent. Mm. Um, We've identified an additive, and it's a ceramic nanotech, talking about getting in the weeds. Here we go. go. We're waiting in. Good. Um, And it mimics the qualities of fluorocarbons, except that it's non-toxic and biodegradable. Um, It was actually developed by the Department of Defense for use in bulletproof vests, which is cool. 
has nothing to do with ski wax, but it's super hard, which is good in ski wax. Um, it's used to coat the runners of luges because it's really fast. Um, and so we've licensed the right to use this particular substance in ski wax. And we think that it's going to be the next big thing. Wow. Ceramic nano technology. CNT. CNT. Ooh. Can I, can I use that? You may. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. CNT. Okay. It does not sound like it is something that would be biodegradable. It's biodegradable in the sense that it's naturally derived. Okay. So it already starts from a place where there's not much to break down because it's non-synthetic. Wow. I somehow didn't know about this. I mean, I would say I would call it an inevitable upcoming ban. We're very familiar with this when it comes to like DWR membranes. And this is a big thing in the apparel world. Are you up on this? I, I assume you are. Yes. Okay. So, right, the vast majority, as in, I don't know, virtually all, like, quote-unquote, waterproof apparel, that jacket, those pants, well, that stuff used to also be made from fluorocarbons and still is in some cases, but Dan Abrams has talked a good bit about this, like, changes are coming. Some changes have already happened here, but, like, you know, we're going to be seeing that become either completely banned or just become a lot less frequently used. And it is a pretty high performance, you know, way to manufacture a waterproof garment, but it's not really going to be allowed anymore, or it's going to be frowned upon, even if it is allowed. So companies, I think, are kind of really trying to figure this out in the apparel space. But I guess I was unaware that like at the highest level of racing, they were talking about instituting this ban. Yeah, there were some recent studies that came out which linked fluorocarbons in the environment directly to skiing. They yeah. always knew that fluorocarbons were bad and that they were carcinogenic. Um, and there's a lot of other uses that introduced them into the environment. What was new is that they linked it directly from a ski resort. So they did tests in the soil at a ski resort and they found fluorocarbons. And what happens with fluorocarbons is that they're the opposite of biodegradable they bioaccumulate, so they never break down. They're called forever chemicals. And so year after year, they just build up and they actually get into the food chain. So they found it in worms and voles, and they assume that it's like all the way up into potentially, you know, dairy cows in France that are making fancy cheese probably have some, some level of fluorocarbon from ski wax. So that kind of opened everybody's eyes. Wow. So you might be kind of uniquely positioned here? Yeah, I mean... Every other wax company in the world is coming out with a non-floral wax because they have to. We're already there. Boom. Boom. Mic drop. Mic drop. Blammo. I said I wasn't going to say blammo. You did say that. So I kind of <laughs> stole your thunder. I didn't even know this was going to happen until you walked in and informed me before we hit the record button. But after we talked about succession, you have a launch a new product line that you are going to announce to the world here and not on Shark Tank. Screw you, Mark Cuban. <laughs> no offense, Cubes. Um, yeah, this is kind of the reveal. This is wow. kind of big. And uh, yeah, Jonathan, you don't know. We didn't spill the beans beforehand. You have not told me. Um, and now I've really built up to suspense. You have. Uh, so next year, we are launching um, the industry's first recycled aluminum ski poles. So as far as we know, all of the ski poles on the market are made from virgin aluminum. 
aluminum is amazing in that you can recycle it infinitely and the structural qualities of it are the exact same, whether it's virgin or recycled. Um, the nice thing, the cool thing about recycled aluminum ski poles is that it uses 90% less carbon emissions. You're not going out to mine the bauxite ore. You're cutting up old ski poles or old aluminum to make new ski poles. Um, we're launching it next year. We've got samples out now. Um, I mentioned I talked to Chris Davenport this morning. He says, hi. He sent me a photo while I was driving through a snowstorm of him skiing in a snowstorm way better thing to do in a snowstorm uh, with our new poles. Huh. And he's loving them. Huh. Um, we've got three different styles. So a rental model, um, which is going to pair really well with our wax, which is being used in rental shops, mm. in resorts. That's huge. So we'll take all of your old ski poles from your rental fleet, from whatever resort you work at. We'll recycle those. We'll give you our new made with recycled aluminum ski poles pair it with our wax and now you have a sustainability story hmm. in your rental shop. So we, that's our basic line. It goes all the way up to a high-end line with cork grips that are made from upcycled wine corks. So super interesting, like as much sustainability as we could pack into a pole. I didn't think I could get excited about poles. I've literally pulled my poles out of the garbage you know, since I was 10 years old because I didn't care. I believe you, actually. <laughs> I believe you. And I was just as stoked. And now to have this new product to talk about, um, and then to go back to something we've hit on a little bit in this show, it's not only sustainable, we're using the highest grade aluminum available. So it's seven series aluminum, which is more than twice as strong as a typical ski pole, which is made with six series aluminum. So our story is durable, is sustainable. It's going to cost a few more bucks yeah. than your run of the mill ski pole, but we're hoping that it's going to last way longer. Tell me a little bit more about like how many iterations of these poles are you going to be making? So you've talked about rental poles and rental fleets. You've talked about high end with upcycled cork grips. Are you getting into offering, you know, poles with powder baskets, poles with everyday baskets, adjustable? What, tell me more about the, what people can find. Yeah. So to start, we're going to offer kind of the, what most people are looking for. We've got you know, a moderate sized powder basket, nothing crazy. Our goal is to get this into as many hands as possible. The key with any of these sustainable products is that they have to be yeah. attractive to the, to the main population, yeah. right? Yeah. If it's super high end or super niche, it's going to be cool. And you're going to have some early adopters. You're not really going to make an environmental impact. Yeah. So we're going after the biggest chunk of the market to start, but we're already looking at adjustable poles for touring, uh, maybe getting into trekking poles, you know, the people that we have talked to about this, retailers and such, are already asking for that. So, are you spending a lot of time right now reaching out to ski areas that do have rental fleets or shops that have rental fleets? How are you spending your time around this new rollout? Yeah, we're making a huge push, right? This is our first foray into hard goods and the lead time is much longer. So and we have to get the preseason orders like tomorrow yeah. to make this happen for next year. So we're banging on everybody's door. We're traveling a ton um, and introducing this to folks. Fortunately, we have a lot of the connection. Like we've either been working with people with our wax or at least they know of us. So it's like, hey, we've got this new thing you guys should be aware of. Like here it is, here's a sample, check it out. Like let's work together. But it's a, yeah, it's a huge push. No rest for the wicked. 
I mean, it's hard to complain when your work is traveling to Crested Butte or Whistler to drink beer and talk about skiing. Okay, fair. <laughs> we also have not talked at all about your bicycle products. There's a lube conversation one might have. Let's have that conversation at a different time. And I want you to come prepared with data and dorkery. And let's get into the weeds with, uh, again, another kind of pretty everyday product for cyclists who, where many of us probably don't think a whole lot about like the chain lube we're using or whatever. But is that cool? We'll do that at a different time. Yeah. Would love to come back here. I mean, to quickly prime the conversation, it's a very similar story to ski wax. Almost all the bike lube in the world is made from petroleum. Whatever you put on your chain, it goes somewhere, yeah. right? That's why you have to keep lubing your chain. Yeah. And it's going into the environment. And it's, you know, by person, it's maybe a few drops here and there. In aggregate, it's thousands of pounds. Yeah. So huge problem um, with a relatively simple solution. Make a plant-based product that works just as well as a competition. For people interested in learning more about your products, potentially purchasing your products, where is your preferred spot to send folks? So first, check your local ski and bike shop. Um, we are around the country, around the world. If you can't find it there, go to mountainflow.com. Excellent. Um, I Will you soon be posting reviews of succession episodes? Yes, although I'll need you to copy edit them just to make sure I'm not missing any pertinent points. I'd be happy to. <laughs> um, hey, man, it's cool having you here. And uh, I'm looking forward to chopping it up with the, some of the folks on our crew and uh, keep this going. But, um, you know, I think a lot of us, frankly, like to talk a big game about like, yeah, I love the outdoors. And so I'm trying to make sustainable choices. And honestly, like in the scheme of things, the stuff we're talking about here today is one of the like most no brainer. I mean, our squad has used these products. We've talked about them on the site. We will be rolling out more write ups about some of these things. And, um, and this is one of the reasons like we kind of wanted to partner with you guys where it was just like, let's, let's pick our spots. And if we feel, if we feel like the performance benefits are there and we're doing things in a better way, then that's the kind of thing we want to be supporting. This has been very cool, you know, from the first conversations we ever had to, to today. And uh, we are wishing you all the best and look forward to seeing what you roll out next, even though you've kind of told us. <laughs> well, Jonathan, thanks so much for, for having us down here. Super stoked to be working with you guys this winter. And uh, yeah, stoked to get out on snow soon. Awesome. And for now, let's eat pizza. Deal. Okay. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Okay, it is now time for our What We're Celebrating segment. It is currently Thursday evening, December 16th at 10.01 p.m. I currently have in my hand a glass of Whistlepig 15-year-old rye. And as you know, I tend to only break this one out when I've really got something really big to celebrate. I talked about this actually in last week's segment. I think it is worth bringing up again. I'm celebrating the fact, I'm also scared of the fact, but I'm mostly celebrating the fact that tomorrow I'm going to be getting on Telemark skis for the first time in my life. And if you are a real 
Gear 30 aficionado, then you know we are going to be filming this, making our Blister Crash Course Telemark video. And the good news for me, at least, and also, I guess, for you, the potential watcher of this Crash Course video, Luke Coppa is going to be out there with me. He also has never been in any Telemark gear. And Dylan Wood, same story. Never tellied at all, not for one second. And then finally, Kristen Sinnott is going to be out there. Kristen does telemark, so she is definitely going to be the best of us. And honestly, then, I don't know, I just mostly hope one of us doesn't end up in the hospital. But, um, you know, I don't know, we're about to find out. But I've had varying levels of like excitement and dread about doing this. And at least right now, at 10 o'clock the night before, with some nice whistle pig in my hand, I'm actually mostly just feeling excited. I think it's going to be kind of hilarious, mostly ridiculous. I'm looking forward to trying something new. So I guess that'll be my toast here. Here is to trying new things and also maybe to being stupid enough to documenting the whole thing for all of the world to see. So yeah new things, and being dumb. Cheers. And that brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Peter for the conversation and for making the trek over here to Crested Butte. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again on Monday over on our Blister podcast, where you are going to get to hear a fantastic conversation that I just had earlier today with one of the seminal figures in all of paddle sports, Eric Jackson, founder of Jackson Kayaks. And yeah, if you know just a legend of the boating world. It is a fantastic conversation. I think people who've never boated before are going to really enjoy it for a number of reasons, which you'll see. But I actually kind of think those of you who are diehard boaters, I'm, I was really hoping to kind of make you all proud. And I, I, I don't know if I made you proud, but I still think you might really enjoy the conversation. So see for yourself. That is this Monday over on our Blister podcast. Bye, everybody. I got to go like, I don't know, not shower or something since, you know, I got to telly tomorrow. All right, later.